Hey, this is Cleveland Brown, and you're listening to the About Last Night podcast. I guess your TV must be broken. Ha <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. You're bored. This weekend, I will be in West Jordan, Utah at Wise Guys Comedy Club, Friday and Saturday, June 21st and 22nd, two shows each night. Come out and see me, baby. West Jordan. Is that West Michael Jordan? I don't know. Name in, uh, name in a, a city after uh, one of the players that ripped up your Utah Jazz. That seems fucked up. But either way, I'm going to be at West Jordan, Utah, the Wise Guys Comedy Club, this Friday and Saturday. Tickets at AdamRayComedy.com. Brad Williams will be at the Stardome in Hoover, Alabama, Friday and Saturday. Tickets at BradWilliamsComedy.com. Today's episode of the About Last Night podcast is a good one. Holy shit. Um, If you know anything about me and my favorite stand-up comics, um, Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, Patton Oswalt, David Cross, but the guy for me... Uh, it's always been the guy for me, Greg Giraldo, who passed away uh, unexpectedly and uh, just horrifically um, in 2010. Uh, he was 44, and it was a big fucking bummer, man. It, uh, he was one of the most brilliant comedic minds I think we've ever had. Smartest, too smart for his own good, some say. Um, but uh, his life uh, should not be uh, forgotten and uh, his his comedy lives on, obviously, with YouTube and, and his albums. Uh, his his last special he did, Midlife Vices, I highly recommend to go watch. Uh, Good Day to Cross a River, uh, his last album he did at the Comedy Works in Denver. And uh, he was just one of the best, dude. And everyone said the nicest. And I got to work with him uh, one weekend in Irvine, which I talk about in today's episode uh, with Matty Bolliker, who wrote uh, Greg Giraldo, A Comedian Story, which is out right now on Amazon. Uh, I think they're going to get an Audible book together. Um, wherever you get books, Barnes and Noble, but Amazon's the hot spot. So get your uh, get your copy of Greg Gerardo, a comedian story, uh, written by Matty uh, Bolliker, and uh, who I've known for a while. Um, uh, real, real funny comic, and uh, took it upon himself to to get this story out there and, and make sure that Greg's story and and essence and and uh, comedy was not uh, not left in the past. So get this book uh, wherever you get it and um, follow Maddie on Twitter at Maddie B game. Follow me at Adam Wright comedy at funny Brad at ALN podcast um, about last night podcast.com for past and present eps and all your ALN merch shop Adam Ray.com for, uh, for all my Adam Ray stuff and uh, read the room. Of course, still available on Amazon, Google play Spotify. So look at my album, read the room, enjoy it because I'm touring with a new hour. So it's perfect. You listen to the album, you get all caught up and then you get some new shit. Uh, if you came out to the uh, M's game on Monday to see me throw out the first pitch, holy shit, what a dream come true. I didn't bounce it 50 Cent style <laughs> or Mariah Carey style. Threw a strike, god damn it, and, uh, and it was a blast. Got to go into the booth, talk to my boy Rick Riz. He talked about me on air because uh, if you haven't seen the video, which you should, on my Instagram at Adam Ray Comedy, um, I ripped off my jersey to reveal a Dave Niehaus jersey, which, uh, which our, our famous announcer from the get-go, 1977 to 2010. And... Uh, and that was a cool reveal, just to kind of do a little something special, you know? There were so many ideas I had. I wanted to bring Brad up and have him be at first base and lead off, and I would try to pick him off, and then he'd run around the bases, which would be hilarious, and then I would chase him down and try to tag him out at home plate. Um, but I don't think the MLB would go for that. It would take too long. It wouldn't be a first pitch. Uh, I digress. It was a blast. Thanks for coming out. And thanks for listening to today's episode. Uh, so many great episodes on the way. Monday, Seth Green is on the About Last Night podcast. You don't want to miss that one. Make sure you're subscribed on Spotify, iTunes, uh, wherever you get your uh, your audio. And email us at aboutlastnightpod at gmail.com, where you get the podcast, how you got into it, what you love about it. 
And uh, we're going to be reading some fan emails in the next couple weeks because we've got some big announcements coming up. Uh, I think that's it. Now that we got the tour dates, Twitter handles, and merch info out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy a very special episode of the About Last Night podcast with the writer of Greg Giraldo, a comedian story, Matty Balker. Well, the weekend's over and it's time to chat about it. It's time to chat about it. Got a midget and a juice, so why don't you sit down? Eh? So why don't you sit hey. down? Eh? Listen to our dope podcast. Whether lunch, dinner, or breakfast. Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of day. So come over and treat yourself right. It's about last night. So you're going no cans? Yeah, no cans. Now why is that? You don't like the sound of your own voice? It's a little weird, yeah. It is. But you're... Um, Do you like... I mean, because you, you're like a professional voice actor do you yeah, like dude, the sound of your own voice I make at least 15 bucks a session <laughs> uh i don't mind it uh i it, it when i first started having to like record sets you know i um i thought that it was uh just like really also you're listening to yourself at the early stages of comedy when you uh, don't have your you know total point of view yet and so right. i felt like i was doing what i thought a comedian should sound like you know um but also and, uh, you know, just to segue into why you're here, but like Greg Giraldo was uh, and is one of my favorite comics ever. So you definitely start to feel like you emulate who you like. And um, not that I would try to do a, a, his vo- but his his cadence, his timing, his like, I thought he was likable, but he had a little bit, uh, his emotional connection to his material was what I really resonated with. And not yeah. that it was like, uh, he never seemed angry to me. He just seemed like perturbed. You that, know? That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but let's, uh, so you wrote this book. Uh, yeah. Is this recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We're, oh, we're yeah, going, baby. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I thought this, I thought we were just Matty Balaker, uh, who I've known for, I mean, dude, probably since I started stand up. you used to run a show at the Red Rock, yeah. which is now State Social House. Um, but you started stand up when? Uh, probably 2003. Right. In, uh, in LA. In LA. I, I was working at an office in the LA film school. So afterwards I go take groundling classes then do whatever open mic would have me yeah, that dude. evening. Isn't it? Where, where are you from? Uh, Carlsbad, San Diego nice. County. I went to Carlsbad once with an ex-girlfriend. Oh. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, <laughs> but um, starting comedy in LA, people don't realize is, I mean, it's a uh, an overwhelming uh, ambition because you're just like, when you jump in, I think it's also a blessing and a curse because I don't think you know truly how competitive and crazy it is, uh, at least for me. So I started you know, doing the open mics. And I'm just like, all right, well, there's seems like there's a lot of them and yeah. I'm meeting. A, there are a lot of comics doing it. So like, as far as building your support system, that was pretty easy. But, um, why did you even move from Carlsbad? Uh, it sounds like a stupid question. But yeah. I, I mean, who's I, I, grad- to stay I, in Carlsbad? I graduated from high school. Yeah. And then I went to the other school in Los Angeles. I, I know you're a Trojan. Yeah. And I, I went to undergrad as a Bruin. You son of a bitch. But Adam, and that, that's been Matty Balaker you can follow him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the Bruins. But then later I went to USC. Right. So I made amends for you. Thank you. For what? Undergrad or graduate school? For a MBA. Oh shit. Cause that's what you need in stand up comedy. <laughs> yeah. Well dude, even a theater degree, I remember, you know, jumping right into auditions and they're being like, 
you know, we're casting CSI Miami. You were in Vinegar Tom. Like, what does that even <laughs> fucking mean? Like, you've done some Noel Coward. I don't think this is going to translate. <laughs> Uh, when did your love for stand-up start in college, oh, as a kid? Or? Yeah, you know, well before I started doing it semi-professionally. Right. Uh, I think Rodney Dangerfield was one of the first comics where I started watching, and it really resonated. And I think part of it was because my dad was a fan. And who was he into? He was into Rodney, and and actually Gallagher. So you know, no one's perfect. Um, Hilarious, but also <laughs> as much as we want to make make fun of Gallagher, like the guy. I mean, shit, dude. There will never be another, because of the times, another guy that does no. that stuff and crushes. No one's going to smash Denise. produce. <laughs> no, I, I saw him in San Diego, and, and he was entertaining. You know, I was like 12 or something, but uh, he was he put on a show. Yeah. And then uh, when I was a little bit older, I my mom would uh, tape Evening at the Improv. Do you remember that? Yes, it was on HBO. Or no, no. A&E or something. A&E, okay, yeah. yeah. And it was like, I think that's where I first saw Rob Schneider and Adam Sandler when, Fuck yeah. when they were just doing stand-up. And it, they didn't cuss, so my mom was cool with me right. watching it. So I'd come right. home and watch that for, for 12 minutes or so. And I think that's kind of when the, I don't want to say the seed or the, the love of comedy yeah. was planned. But I think I just always had an inkling for it. And then um, – in college, I, I took a, some, or a quarter off and I started interning at Conan O'Brien. Oh, shit. And that was like, oh, you can like make a living doing this shit. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. There are these people. And then you really, I mean, you know this. It's like, it's the hardest thing you can do, but you can do it. But that was the first experience I saw to like people who were funny and made right. money off of it. And, and being like, on a set and seeing like the in, inner workings and... Did you ever get to chat with Conan and get some advice? Or I, I don't know if I got advice, but yeah. I did get to chat with them. And it was funny because sometimes like, it would be like 20 minutes before a show and I'd want to talk to him about anything. Yeah. And he'd kind of blow me off and be like, what an asshole. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, he has this multi-million dollar production <laughs> on his back. I'm some pissant intern. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then I remember going to a, a holiday party and he couldn't have been cooler. That's like, awesome. I mean, like I talk about someone who couldn't help him. Yeah. And he gave me the time of day and was like, chatted me up so that that was that was pretty sweet did you want to be in comedy since you were a kid or was it just kind of like because i know for me it was you know i i was like oh i'm a funny kid with my friends and like you know and you start to get little nuggets of like oh maybe and then you make other people that you don't know laugh which is like a good uh you know indication of maybe there's something there <laughs> but i didn't know that this was a profession again and right. until you have to get some bigger experience and even being down here in la for college i was like how do you even get into say like do I go to the club is it just do I sign up it's like um so like when did you when did it become real for you it's like all right this is something that I think I I got the chops for uh probably when I started doing the show at yeah. Red Rock around around 2006 um uh, and it was twofold because I saw lots of great comments like Sickler was a regular mm. Um, Brian Scalaro, Greg Fitzsimmons. And like, it was eye-opening. Scalaro's one of the best, dude. Because I was like, you know, I, I can perform with them, but I'm not at their level. Right. And that was actually important because being one of the better ones at an open mic, you know, it's, it's not worth nothing because you need to cut your teeth somewhere. Yeah. But that was like, oh, okay. I see, I see these guys doing it and, and I want to be like them. It is a great thing for a young comic to be on those shows. I remember the first show I was on that had Scalaro and Joe Rogan. It was a place called the Bank Heist in North Hollywood. The Bank Heist. Uh, now it's the, um, uh, shit, the, not the tower. It's off of uh, Lancashire. Um, it's upstairs. Huh. Uh, anyway, great room. My buddy Brett Riley ran it and 
I was on the show with those guys and I was like, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit in your head of like, all right, I guess I'm as good as Joe Rogan now. This, wow, this didn't take very long. And, uh, but, but you need to get a little taste of like how good it can be so that you, it makes you work harder. And then to go back to the shows that you're consistently, you know, doing and, right. and, and hopefully be better there. And then it just is going to, you know, build from that. But, when did your love for Greg Gerardo come into your life? So good, you're taking, quite, yeah, being out here, I'm sure you start to get introduced to more of the greats and just the people that are consistently working, right? Yeah. Uh, with with Gerardo, it was actually at Conan uh, because he did a set and he was just some dude. You know, this was 2000, wow. I think. And you know, they have like four and a half minutes of material, maybe five. And they had lots of comics, but there's some And again, about wait, him. this is New York Conan or LA Conan? New York Conan. New, okay, great. Um, and th- that was just like the first kind of appetizer to Geraldo. And I was just like, oh, he, he was good. Like, he was really good, but yeah. I, I didn't really think too much of it. And then yeah, when- Because he wasn't a household name. No. You know, he did the roast, but- or Well, the roast and this, even... this was before. This was wow. 2000. And then it was really Tough Crowd. Do you remember that show, dude, Tough Crowd I mean, with Colin? Yes. come on, dude. So th- that was, because I was working at, at the LA Film School- uh, and then I'd come home. I, I lived in Larrabee for like 10 years. And, yeah. and I remember like try to do an open mic, whatever. But I always look forward to 1130 on Comedy Central. I, I sometimes watch The Daily Show, but it was tough crowd that, that got me in my room. And religiously, I'd watch it Monday through Thursday. And then when I saw him, I was like, he's funny. He's smart. He's off the cuff. Like he, he had every element. Yeah. And, and he was so good. He almost made me sound so douchey, but like not want to do stand up. Yeah. Because it was like almost like watching Michael Jordan and be like, I want to play basketball too. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I, I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like that's such a dumb reason not to do something I because know. oh, there's actually someone better than me. Yeah. Imagine, imagine that. Yeah. But he was so good. It was like he was doing something other than stand up. He, he was he was smart and he was quick and he was just so freaking entertaining and likable, right? And like, like, again, like you said, yeah, yeah, he had this this vulnerability and he, and, and and he didn't come off as like holier than thou even though he was the smartest one in the room. Dude, he could outwit you and out talk you probably in any conversation. Oh yeah. But he had a real soft sensibility to him that was like he wanted he didn't yeah, didn't want to talk down to you or over you. He just no. wanted to let you in on what was And going and he on in went to uh, his undergrad was Columbia. Yeah. And then he went to Harvard Law a year before Barack Obama went there. And he was on Tough Crowd with these comics and and there'd always be someone from California who'd kind of be snooty because oh, I'm I'm smart yeah. and like want you to know it. And he never used his education to sell his jokes. You know, it was just his material was so good it, it you know, he, he didn't need any artifice, and that was just brilliant. And it was uh, that episode with Dennis Leary, right? Is that the <laughs> one you're talking about? That was one of them. Yeah. I mean, that one is the famous one that gets tossed around where it's, you know, he goes toe-to-toe with, as Lenny Clark says, like, it was the jester making fun of the king because <laughs> yeah. Dennis Leary was, you know, you know, heavily revered at that uh, point. Oh, he was the celebrity guest. Yeah. Um, and, and to see Greg just kind of... Um, I mean, I should find the clip, but to see him kind of just like lay in on uh, on Dennis and outsmart him and then outwit him. And yeah. I think he said something to the effect of, uh, he was like, uh, you know, Greg made all these points and Dennis Lee was like, wow, I didn't know we had to do, uh, do uh, you know, do all take all these notes and, and come prepared. And he's like, yeah, well, that's what we do, uh, Dennis. We're comedians. We write jokes. And a little comedy like, writing. Yeah. yeah, a little comedy writing. Maybe if you did a little comedy writing yourself, your show would still be on the air. And it was like bombs dropped. Yeah, dude. After he, he was like, Greg, you're the guy that does the homework and then asks for more to, to get extra credit. And it's like, but even that, the way he delivered it didn't come off like, 
you know, aggressive. It was just... And, and Adam, it wasn't planned. Yeah. And they did plan a lot of stuff. I mean, he was prepared and most of his stuff was pre-written, but he was working on a manicure joke because they were talking about North Korea. That was that was what was setting the stage. Right. And uh, Colin Quinn said, like, should, should we do something? You know, should we take a military action? And Geraldo was, was starting a bit about, well, maybe there's other ways. Like if uh, American girls agree to get their nails done twice a week, North Korea will like not point nukes <laughs> at us. And then, you know, it's a funny joke, yeah. but then, then Dennis Leary interrupted him. He's like, oh, there's a country that we hate that hates us. That's got nuclear weapons pointing at us. You think there's a nonviolent way? Yeah. And he's like, oh, like Russia, for example, that big Russian war. And it was just off the cuff. And he's like, oh. And I would never think to have that be my, my retort. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and, and it was true, but it happened, what, a nanosecond? Yeah. Like, like after yeah. he was interrupted? It's like, that's something, if you had four weeks to write and research, yeah. then, you know, you could come also, up with that. to not even be phased in that moment when Leary interrupts you to tr- try to pull the rug out from under you. He just kind of stays in the pocket and is like, well, this is, now this is what I say to that. You right. Know? And um, do you think that, obviously, his writing, he was so good at, I love that Geraldo had so many, uh, topical bits, but he also, where I learned and, and became encouraged to look at uh, current event things, he was mm-hmm. great at taking like news stories that didn't have a shelf life, but were so pertinent and relatable to everybody. Like the one about uh, the married couple that uh, the, the <laughs> we guy, all fight. The guy jumped off the uh, cruise ship. You know, <laughs> it's like he was struck by lightning seven times, and he's like, "God himself couldn't kill this guy." So he's like, "Oh, calling the experts." But it's like a joke like that that is a great you know, uh, look into marriage and relationships and again, didn't have a shelf life, but was this like true story. And that's when I was like, oh man, you got to scour the news. And cause I guess I got conditioned to be like, oh, if you're writing something that, that you saw in the paper or on- online, it's got to be, uh, you know, something right now. Yeah. But it's like, nah, dude, there's so much shit out there that you can pull from. That's a good point. Like his topical material was pretty evergreen. Like you can watch stuff he was doing about news bits in 2008 and it's funny now. And as you said, most of that stuff doesn't have a shelf life. Yeah. So you see him at Conan and then, uh, and you're like, all right, this guy's great. Then tough crowd. Yeah. When I saw him at Conan, I was like, oh, this guy's really good. Then tough crowd. I was like, he's the Michael Jordan. You start just telling everybody about him and you're like, you yourself get more invested and like, I got to go make sure I'm going to see him wherever he is. Oh, for sure. And and this was the time of, I mean, it was pre Twitter. And so comedians had websites and his website was, was pretty weak. It just yeah. had the occasional tour date. Wow. And I knew he went to Harvard and I knew there was like some cool stuff about him, but he never publicized it. Hmm. And now that's so refreshing, like a comedian who doesn't tell you everything. That, I know, dude. Uh, <laughs> I, I still don't think, I don't know what, I think he'd be very Bill Burr about his social media and his, yeah. uh, uh, even his Instagram, you know, like he'd be posting stuff here and there. I bet his stories would be good, you know, funny, but I also, it'd be like Burr, it'd be like he'd, he doesn't really know what he's doing. He doesn't really want to do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm a comic. I'm yeah, not a social media exactly. activist or influencer. Uh, where did you, um, uh, uh, wh- where did you see him next that made you truly, like, did you start to, um, he became your favorite comic, yeah? Yeah. Uh, it's at the cellar, because my, my brother lived in New York, and so I'd visit sometimes, and I think whenever I was in town, I'd go to the comedy cellar, and he was a regular there. Right. And that was cool, because it was just a club. And I'd see him riff off the crowd uh, and and I'd see him do his planned material and it was brilliant. And then I think 2007, maybe six, it was um, the Insomniac 
Yeah. I'm using tour in air quotes, yes. but uh, it was David Tell, and it was, it was here in Dane Hollywood. Cook, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I actually, it's funny. I ended up my my brother was out of town, so I ended up taking his wife because we were gonna go. And, yeah, and and she's a big comedy fan, yeah. super cool. And and I was like, you got to see Greg. And she knew I was kind of obsessed with them. Yeah. And then afterwards, she's like, you're right. Like he was. Yeah. He was the best. Doesn't that feel good too when you get to introduce somebody to a new comic that you're like, this guy should be a household name. Yeah. I can't believe you don't know, but I'm excited for you to <laughs> to get to know about him. <clears throat> um, and so what what about that show really stuck out? Well, maybe because he was sober, but okay. he, he just seemed like in a good place mentally. Did you know that he had addiction problems? When did you start to really dive into who he was, you know? Well, when I started writing the book, that was 2000, or researching the book, it was 2015. Oh, no so way. That, so, but well before then, I would follow him, and he'd always reference that he gave up drinking, and then at Rose, people would make fun of his alcoholism. So I, I knew there was something there, and then I think it was a Conan interview around 95. Right. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, it was around 2005. Uh, he mentioned that he, he was sober, but he, he wasn't the, like the type and this sounds so ignorant who you would think would be an addict mm. you know he didn't look like it yeah he looked like a lawyer he looked like an accountant he yeah. was just some dude and it shows that the, those demons i mean they can creep in any of us and 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 they're they're nasty uh it, it was a pretty public thing that his at least i found out after he passed that he did have these battles with addictions and <clears throat> you know everyone has their own opinion about how much you should step in what's appropriate to to say or do it's not my business it should be my business he's a good friend of mine like he's an adult though too so who might have babysit but um in doing all your research for the book a comedian story by the way yeah, Greg Gerardo, a comedian story thank you <laughs> uh at what point how much of the book are, did you make about that because i feel like you know, there's so many great things to celebrate about who Greg was and, and what he did and how great of a comedian. And, and from what I gained and what I've had in my minimal experience with him, how great of a person uh, he uh, he was and to everybody. Right. And but those addictive demonizing uh, traits like he just couldn't shake. And, and in doing your research and uh, what, it, what what do you think attributed to that? Uh, it, w it was a mental issue. Like I, I, he didn't have diagnosed depression, but I'm sure if he went to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, he would have been diagnosed as, as depressive. And he had accounts from when he was in college, just thinking he wasn't good enough and that, that he was an, an outsider. And so he mentions in a few interviews, one was very telling in Opie and Anthony that he was just never comfortable in his own skin. And so when he would have a, you know, have some booze and, and, and a few shots, then he felt normal. And so he was, he was trying to calm like the noise in his head. Mm -hmm. And I think that was with him pretty much his whole adulthood. So I, I don't think it was this thing like, Oh, he's a stand up comedian or he's, you know, he, he's upset that he's not more famous than he is. And so he's going to turn to, to alcohol and drugs. It's like, yeah. no, he had some mental issues and he was self medicating and he was medicating in a way that was very destructive. Right. Did uh, did he have people enablers? You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Like also, it seems like at comedy clubs you go to, people are coming at you, being like, "Hey man, I want to do drugs with you. I want to do this." It's the way they do with Doug Benson with pot. You know, <laughs> sure. it's like I know that Greg was getting that probably with coke and other things. And and if it's 
at that that accessible why are you saying no to it right you're the celebrity in every town you go to and he and he had uh i know after a while again this is just hearsay but like yeah doing the road having his family he was 44 right when he yeah. passed and so just getting into his 40s and being at a place to where you're like god i'm doing the same fucking club <laughs> right. again and probably for good I'm money i want to assume oh but, sure yeah but but you know he didn't I mean, you tell me. I mean, tons of pilots that didn't end up going, right? He had a ton of chances, and it seemed like yeah, he, people I were mean, always trying to make something with him in mind. Exactly. And John Stewart had a good point about that. He said they always wanted to make something with him in mind because he was that good. Like if if he sucked, you, you wouldn't be asking him to yeah. come back. And he he began comedy, you know, around ninety three. And when he was a lawyer and then by 95, he was filming a pilot yeah, for ABC. That's crazy. So dude. he had this crazy ascent early on. Was he that good early on? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't as good as he became. Did so you get access to like tapes and stuff yeah. like, and you, you spoke to his family and I spoke yeah, I spoke to his family members. Wow. Um, I spoke to his longest tenured wife, um, who was awesome. Yeah. Um, but you know, to, to get back to your point, it's yeah. like, he was very good and then he needed to get his footing as a comic sure and then so he has his first sitcom the same year was it um, news radio came out yeah like he and joe rogan would would shoot the shit at break and and how long was news radio on the air yeah and and, and greg's ended after four episodes and then that that was unfortunately the only one that actually aired the only sitcom but every deal uh, sorry every year he had holding deals so he was making six figures a year without even doing anything just because people wanted to have access to his talents fuck yeah so i mean on one hand people say oh he and he was critical of himself and his yeah. success like oh he was a loser or you know he never really made it and maybe i mean yeah he's not zach galifianakis but like you know how many people can really make that good of a living doing something that's super fun so his pilot gets canceled and then he or show and then he uh just jumps fully into stand-up. He to, moved back to New York. In fact, he was worried that <laughs> we, we talked to some actors on the show and, and during the taping, he would play to the audience. So he was worried that being a quote unquote actor would hurt his stand-up. Oh, wow. So when he moved back to New York in around 96, he, he went, you know, head first into stand-up. What, when did it kind of turn for him? When did people around him? Cause he came up with the, what the Louis, the Burrs, right? Yeah. Wasn't he kind of in that? John Stewart. Yeah. Uh, when did it, start to take a turn where people were like this fucking greg gerardo guy is pretty funny uh, probably 95 when, yeah. he, when he when he got the deal okay. the sitcom deal so still but, just but, two years in but but then you know a lot, lot, lots of yeah. ups and downs and i mean we're, we're talking about him now but i did a show last night in um in orange county and obviously there are comedy fans there and afterwards i was kind of promoting the book and i'd say half the crowd didn't know who he was and wow. and these weren't all millennials you know i'd say the average age was 35 plus yeah, such a fucking bummer and, and so it shows like even at his peak there's yeah. a, a lot of people who are quote-unquote comedy fans or in the industry who didn't really know much about him yeah why do you think that is it's a great question i, I think there are a few facets one he he wasn't a movie star yeah he wasn't on a sitcom regularly and and i think as great as he wasn't in, in the roast that's not and those do get a lot of accolades and exposure but that but, wasn't i mean 
when you saw him, he wasn't a roast comic. Uh-uh. I mean, I mean, he was a roast comic in that he would roast, but it wasn't like Lisa Lampanelli or Jeff Ross, where when you watch him at the improv, you're it's like, oh, I, I could see them roasting, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're putting people down. I, you know, yeah. I, I can see him tearing apart David Hasselhoff yeah. on stage. <laughs> yeah. But no, Greg was just a, a, a very cerebral, smart comic who happened to be a good roaster. But he also had a little, like, in, in, in you know, I, unfortunately, I think it, was, it used to be cool to kind of shit on Dane Cook, but Dane Cook did a lot of really smart things Hell that yeah. Greg didn't. And, and, yeah. and, and so he, he wasn't a good marketer. He didn't hire, a, you know, a high priced publicist. He didn't put his efforts into getting his name out as much as he could have. Did he just think that he would rest on, he was like, my talent should be able to carry me through or he didn't care or he just... I think he didn't care. I mean, he loved performing and he was, for smart as he was, ridiculously unorganized. Yeah. So he kind of lived life from one day to the next in that I want to tell jokes at this club. I want to go read the newspaper, create some new bits, try them out at this club. He wasn't like someone who'd have a team. And I think he would have benefited from this. He had a team though, right? I mean, well, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Like, and he had good managers and he had good people around him. But I, in terms of like a team, that's like, what's your five-year plan? Yeah. You know, what's your three-year plan? Do you want to do movies? Do, do, do you want to do more TV shows? Right. Did, uh, did his addiction and just zest for, you know, having some fun post-show probably get in the way of that too? <laughs> hundred percent. I mean, it's funny. Like right after I finished saying, I was like, and there was that yep. whole addiction thing. So it's a little bit like, yeah, dude, if you're in the hospital and you're like, Hey, why aren't you worried about your 401k right now? Have, have you diversified mm-hmm. your portfolio? It's like, dude, I might die. Yeah. How much did his family know about that part of what he was going through? More than most. Um, Marianne's wife was one of the, the first people we interviewed. And when they met and, um, I guess 96 um, and they were dating and she, she worked at Caroline's. She saw early on that like his hands would shake, uh, you know, like, like getting like withdrawal shakes. And I guess her father was an alcoholic. Wow. And so that was early. You know I mean? That, that was really kind of before he, I mean, it's post sitcom, but really before he broke is like yeah. this, this big national headliner. And he did a really good job hiding it from other people, but she saw right through, you know, his bullshit. And, and, and so, had no problem saying something to him about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, and, and, and as you'll read in Greg Giraldo, comedian story, you know, she, she mentioned that she probably enabled him, but she also may have not known the extent. Right. Because it's like, we all know people who can out drink anyone and then they're fine, but it only takes one weekend in New Jersey and then you don't wake up from it. Yeah. But so, so with, with his, with his family, that was, um, you know, unfortunately they, they saw the brunt of it. Uh, not so much as kids, although there was, he hit it from his kids oh. to an extent. And, yeah. and he even talked about this, like, you know, when you're on the road, you can kind of be the, the rock star party animal yeah. for a while. Yeah. And then it creeps into your life. Yeah. Then you have to decide, okay, when can I get drunk around my kids? Or, schedule? Yeah. So, so when they come home, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, be obvious. And then cause he was a good dad. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly imperfect like all of us fathers, yeah. but he, and, and that was, that was, that was a common through line. Like everyone who I interviewed, they're like, he loved his kids Yeah, and, and, and he, he had a lot of issues with himself, but when he was happiest, it, it involved his children. Man. And, uh, and we were talking earlier about like the family influence and, and it was his wife though. Um, 
who, who had the guts in, in 2008 to say, you know, you need your, your issues are ruining our family. So she kicked him out of the house. I mean, they were going and that kind of started their separation, mm. but you know, she was, he was the love of her life. He was the father of her children. You know, she definitely loved him, yeah. but she's like, imagine you're with someone and like you, you, you see them deteriorating and you're like, if you know, sometimes you just have to be on their own to get your shit together, to get your shit together. Exactly. Damn. That's a tough move too, man. Just to have that much love for somebody to, but be like, I can't babysit you. I can't be the one to make these changes. You right. gotta do it. But also like just to kick them out and then, and then, you know, uh, cut ties, but also I'm sure it's all what you're thinking about is right. how are and, they and, doing. And, and they didn't cut ties in that there was no communications, okay. but they cut ties in that you're not sleeping under my roof. Right. And it was, I mean, there's some instances where there were like parent teacher conferences that he didn't show up. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like the, like the addiction and sure. the issues surrounding that they, they crept into the home life, man. Why, uh, why do you think, uh, you know, he just couldn't get a true grasp on, you know, I guess you said too, that there may be a chemical imbalance or, or, you know, I heard some people say he was too smart for his own good. Like, did you talk to other comedians um, about Greg for the book? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we interviewed about 70 people. Holy shit. And I think, was it easy to get access? I mean, once you, some, yeah, some weren't, you know, a lot of comedians were really forthright. They're like, yeah. And, and, and they're so, willing to like do publicity. But then when it's like those that were close to him, it was a little tougher because that was their friend. And who am I? Like, yeah, you know, but I mean, I'm like some nobody in, in the West coast who wants to ask about their buddy who died for sure. But also, you know, I think, you know, celebrating and, and you tell me, but in the book, I'm sure it's painting the picture of the story and, and wanting to give an honest look into who he was. Right. But also I'm sure there's a lot of celebrating his life and how oh, great yeah. he was. Right. Yeah. So I mean, like if doing that, I would, you know, jump at the chance if I was close to them to be like, Oh fuck, I want people to know. I want as many outlets for people to know and, and get uh, a better understanding of, of how great he was. Well, I, I agree. Thank yeah. you for, for saying that. What, uh, who, who'd you get to talk to that really uh, uh, was several, special? um, Jim Gaffigan, nice. uh, uh, Colin Quinn. He wrote the foreword. Oh, great. Um, Robert Kelly, Jessica yeah. Kersan, uh, Judy gold, Noam Dorman, who's the, the owner of the, uh, comedy, the seller. comedy seller. Uh, Jesse Joyce is Jesse owner. Joyce. Yeah. We had a long interview with him. Yeah. Uh, Nick DiPaolo, Jim Norton, uh, Jeff Ross, Jeff Ross. Yeah. Um, actually Jeff Ross, we, it's funny. He's, he's been so helpful post book. Yeah. Um, and I met with him a couple times, but we never actually recorded the interview. Yeah. So he was kind of tangentially a part of it, but never actually like an on the record interview. Yeah. Um, but, and but what was the thing that you would find most consistent from everybody? Like what was the, was there a, uh, his willingness to help those who couldn't necessarily help him. I mean, that, that was what like Gaffigan had a good point. He said he would never be friends with someone because it helped their career or because it helped his career. And um, Jesse Joyce mentioned that when they started writing the roast together, um, Greg would make it a point afterwards to say, you know, Jesse wrote that, you know, that, that one joke about Flavor Flav. That wasn't me. Wow. It's real and, selfless. Huh? And he didn't have to do that. Yeah. And I think DePaulo De had similar thing. Like, he, he was really willing to help people. And uh, there, there's a guy, Patrick Melton. I don't know if mm. um, he's a friend of mine here. And uh, he opened for, for Greg in, uh, in Florida a while back. And a similar thing, like 
you know, most headliners, they, they don't have to talk to the feature act. Yeah. And he took them out to lunch and they actually like talk shop. They, Greg and Pat would like work on punchlines together awesome. and, and he would give this like salient advice. And so in many ways he, he was a very willing mentor and, and, and a mentor to people who, uh, you know, wasn't like Jeff Katzenberger, you know, like, yeah. like, like someone who's like, all right, I'm going to write a seven figure check for you right now. It's a, it's a, Really cool thing when people want to go out of their way to give time and not expect anything in return, right. especially at Greg's level. Like, yeah, like he's, you know, unfortunately, and and also understandably in this business, people, you know, time is money and, and people that are, whose time is, is valuable, like, yeah, they are going to be a little more tight with how they, uh, you know, s uh, send it out. But um, that makes really cool, uh, I don't know, for him to be that, engaging with people that again like you said aren't really going to give him an immediate result or something that he can take but maybe that's i think that's why he was such a relatable person on stage is that he was a you know i think a comics comic but also a people's comic where it's right. like he he definitely could i don't think there was he had one specific audience right no and in fact that i'm glad you brought that up because people ask like what makes someone a good comedian you know, it's like you can't really quantify it. Yeah. And uh, I had to, to think about that because most of the people who came to his shows were there because they were going to the improv. And so they weren't necessarily there to see Greg Giraldo. Right. And so he could take these people from very like disparate backgrounds and entertain all of them. And, and he would have jokes that would come off as liberal, that would come off as conservative, that would come off as atheist, that would come off as religious. Yeah. I mean, like he really hit all sides and then like everyone could laugh at it. And so like he could take a room full of strangers and, and give them like an awesome evening of entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something, not even just comedians, like very few performers can do. Yeah, it's one of the things, one of the many things I think that I've picked up from him again, which is... Uh, and it's cool to to recognize that once you get you know I'm 12 years in now, but like to uh, to see the things and the people you love that you have somehow embodied and made your own, but like things like um, you know uh, 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 not actively isolating the crowd, which mm -hmm. is something that I have always tried to do innately, but. No, you're you very know, good at in, that. Like, oh, I, 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 that's, I mean, you're good period, but that's one thing. And especially like, I, I think it's easy for comedians to get soapboxy. Yeah. Especially here where like a lot of people kind of think the same. And at the end of the day, it's like, I want to be entertaining. I want to be funny. I definitely want to push and challenge myself and I want to have thought provoking material, but I want to be funny at the end of it. And I don't want to, I'm not up there to try to make a change or to, to push <laughs> you don't have some to agenda be an or, activist on stage. You yeah. can just let people enjoy their evening. But I think there is, but, but, but the deeper you get into this and, and the more of a, of a, you know, just a, an active person you get in, in mind and body and just being on this planet, you definitely have thoughts that you are like, well, I have this great outlet and I do have these thoughts that I am challenging my way mm -hmm. to um, make into a bit. And you do want to share those and, and challenge yourself to be like, wow, can I, Again, with the um, uh, topical stuff, like taking something that uh, that you think it might be off topic and find and challenging yourself to find the funny in it, and and then make it relatable to strangers. And I think he was just so so fucking good at it. And uh, amongst many things, what what did people say that you talked to comedians, family, uh, Jesse, like uh, that they said were their favorite parts about Greg? Probably, aside from his, his willingness to, 
to help uh, just his, his love of his kids yeah and, and how how genuine he was like he didn't put on a front like he'd be the same to you as he would be more or less you know to david letterman yeah like it wasn't this like facade like okay i'm gonna chummy up with with the the, the showbiz types and right. then because another like he was actually very like sensitive and, in what way in in two ways one he was vulnerable to criticism which we all are to some extent but he was i think a little more and it's funny because he was this, this roast comic um and second he and this came up and it was hard for me to um define he seemed to like have a very big problem with injustice and and i think more broadly that just means like underdogs like like he he like this is a, an example we we didn't put it in the book but jesse would say that like after shows um greg always liked it when there's kind of like a nerdy kid who might be maybe was a little shy and like he would take a picture with him or do something to kind of like prop up that kid yeah because he was like you know kind of got the sense like he he wasn't the uh the all-american jock in yeah. high school or something yeah like that. that's awesome yeah but greg his was he cool in school and was he like, did he have a lot of friends? Was he because uh, he seemed like a real social type? And he 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 was a little bit of a brawler and and uh, amongst his uh, Ivy League frat boys at Columbia. So he went to uh, Regis High School. Oh yeah, have, are you, yeah, I've heard oh, of it. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so I mean the fact that we're in California and you've heard of a a high school in, yeah. in New York shows like how big of a deal it is. It's yeah. it's, it's it's sort of like the Harvard of yeah. of high schools, and uh, so he was a kind of a class clown in Regis. And then he went to Columbia, which is like three miles away and he joined a frat. In fact, that was what he was most into as, as an undergrad. And he was a guitar player. He was in a band, but he kind of had a little bit of this like ruffian nature. Yeah. And he was one of the few guys uh, in his frat who could throw a punch. And so he, he wasn't this total hard ass, yeah. but he'd get in fights. And in fact, even, uh, I mean, we discussed it in Greg Geraldo, a comedian story when he was at Harvard law, you know, he went out with some of his buddies there who were all like, you know, nerdy law yeah, school types. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he got in a fight with some guy there who ended up cold cocking him oh, <laughs> and he passed out on the sidewalk. Oh, so he, I mean, he, he was a cool guy. He was funny, but uh, he wasn't afraid to throw a punch. Right. Man. Yeah. There's so much to a guy like this that you feel like, you know, from watching him on stage. And, uh, and I think comedians in general are good at like, projecting one version of themselves mm -hmm. and the version and especially with social media which he may or may not have been a part of showing like this is who i am this is and this is what i want you to see right, right. and i think he did a good job of that again with hiding uh really what was going on um did any of these uh comics that you talked to uh do you talk to a tell at all uh no yeah. I, we, we we exchanged emails and yeah. then he ended up not wanting to do it but i'm sure i mean they seem pretty tight right? oh yeah and in so, fact he uh greg was very uh, insecure is the right word but he thought david tell was a genius and I'm, I'm not arguing with that but so much so that like greg wasn't in his league and uh you know as as we see from your um dvd here adam yeah like david tell said greg is a great comic and a master joke writer plus he is one of the few guys who can drink me under the table like obviously greg deserved to be in his league yeah you know but like he to think, think you're, he... to think you're not i mean that, that shows like when 
when something's going on in your head, lo- logic doesn't always yeah. <laughs> come into play. What um, did people recite favorite bits or do they tell you what they oh, love yeah. about him on stage or what they were jealous of or what they, cause he did have an effortless way of even just being on stage. Like that, he, that's a good, yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people were, were kind of jealous of, and Colin Quinn mentioned this, uh, of just how prolific he was. Like, um, Colin and some of the other people would be, would be at the comedy cellar, like roughly hashing out ideas about whatever news event, you know, whatever Christina Aguilera said that week or something. Right. And then Greg would go on stage and have 10 minutes on it, you know, and and like, like he could just turn it around. And and that's not to say it was was all like worthy of his special, but to just have that. And and like, and and so Colin said that, like it, it put everyone on edge, you know, like, in, in a way, we admire that. You're like, but there's also, Adam, there's jealousy in comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You think? And, and so when you see someone doing that all the time, you might be like, yeah, what, what's his deal? Why, why, why doesn't he just fine tune what he's already done? Instead Isn't that of funny? Trying instead something. of coming up with new shit every night, right? Yeah. But um, I know uh, Robert Kelly really loved the Healy Wheels bit when he was talking about. Uh, it was on Midlife Vices. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the fat kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on roller skates. Yeah, dude. Just putting, yeah, fat kids on wheels. Yeah, dude, that's so good. Was there one topic that, <clears throat> that, um, or was there something that you uh, gathered that he liked to do? Because his crowd work, he was also, I don't think, got enough credit for. Like, and yeah. when I hosted for him at the Irvine Improv that weekend, and, you know, I even went up on stage and I had this short sleeved checkered shirt and a backwards hat and a clean shaven baby face. And it was give it up for Adam, everybody. Dressed like a fucking nine year old, came straight from Picture Day in 1994. He goes, God damn, thanks for dressing up, Adam. You know, whatever, which was just so flattering, you know. And uh, and then he dealt with so much stuff during the show. And he also would do this thing that, that again, I, I have just picked up on i'm sure subconsciously in watching him which <clears throat> he did one night in the Irvine improv where the smallest and he would talk he would call attention to it the smallest little peep he would somehow sometimes stop a full um bit and the momentum that he was having to address like a like some little something he'd just stop himself and then go into it and make a funny bit out of that and then try to get back into the bit but he was like it's a, he would even say he's like it's a blessing and a curse that i ha- i can't not address every little peep he's right. like that's on me he's like but fucking also what fucking what are you talking about your halloween costume you're fucking 48 years old you're really dressing up for halloween you fucking you know whatever it was and and uh and i in my crowd work too sometimes have to remind myself to like hey you get to acknowledge this moment or not or you can keep moving and, it's your choice and not yeah. cut your own uh your own toes off but uh i think especially in the special midlife vices like you know they left in that crowd work moment with the uh, guy with the Rastafarian hair, which did, did, <laughs> when he fell asleep in the <clears throat> second row, did anybody talk to that point of just how, again, like locked in he always was? Like not only with his material, but he just seemed like connected and present always. Yeah, uh, in fact, I'm I'm glad you brought up the the crowd work element because he was brilliant, but he also called it a crutch. <clears throat> like he kind of he could have done 20 minutes of crowd work every show, but yeah. he didn't want to do it too much. But there was one instance where it was, I think stand up New York. And, uh, there was this lady who was just like being freaking annoying to like every comic that was up there, you know, stepping on her punchlines. And, uh, when he went up, he started, uh, 
talking about how we're all obsessed with personal freedoms and like we think we can just say whatever we want. And this woman was totally in agreement with him. And then he flipped it. He's like, you're doing it right now. You're violating yeah. everything I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And then and then she was like, you're right. And then apparently like afterwards, like she loved it, you know, but it, but it showed like even the heckler and, and it's not totally out of the, this world to think, oh, a heckler will actually like the comedian. Right. But I mean, he, he really like flipped the switch on her and put her down, but he put her down in a way that was like artistic and still kind of sensitive right. where it wasn't so unnerving that she could still enjoy his, his standup. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. It's one of those. He wasn't just like, fuck you, cunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is so easy to do. Drop the bomb <laughs> to get out of anything. Yeah. Um, so what, sorry, what was your interactions with them? I mean, cause you got to work with them and just working with them and, you know, and, and I was blown away at, at just, again, how I put them up, up on this pedestal and, you know, this midwife ISIS had just come out. I thought good day to cross a river was, you know, uh, exceptional. <laughs> that and, was super and, funny. But also I, I feel, um, you know, real bummed on many levels that the, again, I feel like we have a handful of voices, um, comedically that are the voices of like that we need, you know, and mm -hmm. his commentary, like even you, you talking about just being a, a, um, a fighter for injustice. And I think, you know, what he would be able to speak on like socially right now would be uh real it, invaluable for, you know, the way to take like the, the, what like John Oliver does. I put Greg in that same boat where he'd be able, maybe he'd be a correspondent of that. Maybe he would That's have his own comparison. show. Yeah. Maybe he would, <clears throat> have that type of show finally like i mean trevor noah's great but imagine geraldo hosting the daily oh, show man. yeah i'm dude. sure john stewart would have <clears throat> given his blessing fuck yeah man um but he was always he was so kind and he again i'm hosting for him and so jesse was real cool and who was featuring for him and became his writing partner and and he you know i even asked jesse first like is he cool like can i go up and he's like yeah he's the best like sit down whatever so because you know i would always be which i think you should in those early stages like read the room and, and, <laughs> and back up and don't just sit down and start. Also, don't be shy. I definitely went up to introduce and say I'm hosting and, but didn't fan out and mm -hmm. didn't, and just like, what do you want me to say? And then, and then kind of picked and choose, didn't sit with them unless he invited me over, which he did. And, and, uh, so you can would, read the room yourself. Yeah, maybe. exactly. I would kind of float around, but then he told me I was funny after and he even gave me a few punches, uh, um, a few uh, punch ups on a few jokes and, and then we all just, you know, shot the shit at pre and post show every time. And it was, uh, you know, man, I wish I had like somehow recorded the conversations on my phone, <laughs> which I've uh, done before uh, with uh, with people when I'm just like, I can't believe I'm here. But um, yeah, he was, I was just really taken aback by how, like you said, just normal he was for yeah. being, again, when you put somebody up on that pedestal and they say, don't meet your heroes. But I was just like, and you need those, you need those interactions, man. When you're getting going, you need somebody like that to... I mean, fuck, I was, this was 2009, probably. Yeah. And so I'm two years in, you know, and, uh, that's not a bad gig for two years in, uh, yeah, hosting mean, at the, Earth yeah, I mean, I could do 10 minutes, you know, and, and, uh, and get the crowd fired up is what that was. But I also berated the gal that I knew that was <laughs> hey. booking those in uh, weekends to be like, yeah, you yeah. gotta let me do this weekend, you know? And, uh, yeah, man, I, I just, it, it, uh, it's rare to have somebody that you, it's like with bands, you know, and, and like when people are, you know, make fun of people for being so into one band, I'm like, dude, it's, there's so much bullshit out there. And, and there's also now just so many performers and so many 
genres and everything that like to have something you get really fixated and, and fired up about on many levels. And, and I, uh, I felt really, uh, it just like made me feel really good that I had this person that I was like, man, I can always expect new stuff from. I mm-hmm. couldn't wait to, when he would pop up on a, on a, a TV show or an article or something that he had written, or he was in town from New York and LA doing the comedy juice shows or, or whatever he was doing. I had a chance to just, you know, like I told you, I was going to fly up to Seattle just to see him perform. And, 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 you know, I had, had known him and Jesse would be with him. So I know I would probably get to hang out in the green room and just be around him, you know? And, uh, and there's, again, like you said, there's so much jealousy and, and, and a competitiveness in this world that to have people like that, that you just are uh, enamored by and, and have, you know, a little bit of support from goes a long way. Um, what do you think people are going to uh, love about this book? What did you love about writing this book that you, because you were a fan. Oh, yeah. And what even like compelled you to do this? Like, did, did you just feel bad that not enough people knew who he was? Uh, couple uh, that was a big part of it um my my wife was pregnant with our second and i had to get like a real job for a while which you know i I don't recommend and uh (laughs) what was that job uh financial advisory wow you seem like you'd be good at that (laughs) thanks yeah but not fun no yeah i hated it going well i like i'm kind of one of those people like once i'm involved with something i'll enjoy it yeah so but like every day i was like i don't want to be doing this in a year kind of thing fuck yeah but but also i was like this is my second child and i was like i can't just worry about me you know so it it was like one of those like heart to heart you know internal like like oh you know i want to be telling dick jokes but you know i'm not not really pulling in the big dough here doing bar shows um so I, i was at this this desk job um and then i was on break and i went on amazon and i i did the search for greg geraldo book and nothing came up and i was kind of pissed and I was like, why not? Like, to I know me, I would always search things and find like the special that Comedy Central did and then appearances, a few like, I'm sure you scour the web too for interviews and there's a lot of some yeah. great ones of him just to camera and a, a few like young comics that again, like you said, he was great with giving time to to people that weren't going to maybe help, but he did a lot of like smaller interviews in towns for weekends. And he would treat them like they were Howard Stern. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like upset that no one had written a book about him and i really wanted to read it because i was like you know I, i'm at this job i'm yeah. not gonna be doing as much stand-up um and then it, it, it in a way kind of saved me because it was like this light bulb moment i was like oh maybe this will be my new project and i mean i, I was one of the editors in chiefs of my high school paper so that in my head was like enough you know background to be yeah. an author which wasn't yeah <laughs> um, but it was just kind of the the being stupid and naive but what i did have was connections and comedy and so i was like well i know this person i know jesse a little bit and you know before i was like i can tomorrow interview 10 people yeah that knew him and then a lot of it was <laughs> selfishly i just wanted to know more about him yeah but but it snowballed so i just got this idea and then um about maybe 20 interviews in i was like i need some money <laughs> You know, because like I, I was, I couldn't just transcribe all of them, mm-hmm. all the interviews myself, and and like I knew there'd be other costs, but I didn't even know what those costs were. Yeah. And then I I, I launched a Kickstarter campaign about six months after I had the initial idea, um, and that was important because one of the backers was Wayne Jones, uh, who he's the co-author on the book, and he's an academic librarian in Canada, and I was like, oh, this is perfect because he was a big comedy fan yeah but also knew all the documentation and all right. like the, the real work yeah, that, yeah. that goes into writing a book and so we teamed up 
Um, and then after that, we would then kind of split up and do, you know, separate the interviews. And then it took way longer than I thought. But with each interview, it was like, oh, okay, well, now I got to interview this person who saw him on Letterman. And then I got to go back to that waitress at the comedy cellar. And oh, I want to talk to his yeah. wife or his girlfriend yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And, and it just like kept building and building and building. And then it gets to this point where like, well, I don't want it to suck. And then I got some Kickstarter backer that like, when the fuck's the book coming out? I, it's, you said it would be ready like a year ago. And Whoa. I was like, uh, sorry, but it was actually important, Adam, to have that kind of public disclosure. Yeah. Like, I'm writing a book. Yeah. Because without that, it would have been so easy to just be like, fuck it. This is tiring. This is exhausting. You, and then, I'm sure you had those moments, right? Oh my God. It's a big undertaking, dude. A, a I don't lot even of know them. where you uh, get that sort of zest to just go, I'm going to do this. And then, but, but once you, yeah, kind of announce it and it's out there, you feel pressure to finish. Yeah. It, it was, uh, was it like social embarrassment. Sure. Kind of like I, I, I didn't want to, you know, piss off the 73 people that bad, yeah. you know, yeah. and like in hindsight, you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. But it was actually like, therapeutic too because then i you know that job wasn't for me and we parted ways yeah um and then i was like what am i gonna do with my life luckily i have a good wife but like it was it, it, i wasn't like at a happy place sure. mentally because i was like how am i gonna make money how, you know how, but i had this book and so like i i it gave me something to do it gave you know, <laughs> it gave me a purpose yeah dude uh, but but it, it, it did and then it was like i was so deep into it i was like i'm gonna finish this and it and it you know it took from you know, that time I, I did the Amazon search to when it was released was, was about five years, which I, in my head, I thought it would take two, but I had no real basis for that. I just, ah, two sounds like a decent number, Yeah. but you know, may, maybe some, you know, maybe someone else would have done it in shorter, whatever, but I, you know, it's, I'm actually proud of it. You know, it's like, it's, it's one of those things like now that it took so long and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's out there. I was like, okay, I, you know, there's something that like when I pass on, <laughs> like the, there'll be something to, yeah, like, it's cool. It's cool that you've, um, I mean, again, like, uh, like Greg did, like just chose to kind of put, uh, put yourself on hold, but put all of yourself into something that really dude is, is, I mean, Again, I, I feel so fortunate to have had an interaction with him, but to have gotten to see him so, see him so many times live, and and live in the time when he was, uh, you know, giving us a lot, and uh, you know, it's to even like try to write a book and 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 to have it be about something that I think the way you approached it too, with trying to take something that people didn't uh, necessarily have a a, a giant. Um, you know, fandom of like mm -hmm. your, this book is, I mean, there's going to be, I'm sure other, I mean, hopefully man, a movie at some point, maybe right. even from your book. I, I think uh, Adam race should star in like, seriously, dude, you, you have the look, you, your right? voice is similar. You, dude, I would do that in a fucking heartbeat. Dude. Hollywood. You listening? I know, dude, they should be. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude, I would have, uh, I know you just said you got the, uh, audio book guy on lockdown, but, uh, if there's anything relating to, to, you know, Greg moving forward that you want me to be a part of. I definitely would do. Well, I mean, we're in talks about like a, a documentary. We'll, we'll see what happens. Whoa. Um, but you should, man, there's more, I mean, it, again, but, but if there's like a live one. action, like, I'm, I'm, I mean, if, if the stars can align where there could be a movie about him, there or should a show, be, like, it, it, I mean, I, it, I'd love you to, uh, it's a great, actually there's a, I mean, that would be a fucking killer yeah. Sundance type movie. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Where it's like, um, Maybe we'll get Adam Carolla's group to to do it. Or fuck yeah, they were yeah they were close, right? He was. I mean, they, I don't know if close. I mean, they're they were cool. They're in the same world. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're in the same world. They share a lot of same sens sensibilities. Fuck yeah, yeah. I mean, I there's um, 
there's a lot of Greg that I think the uh, bigger scale of the world would have. And that's also like, man, what a cool thing. Like he never was able to crack that movie thing. So it's mm-hmm. like, what an extra special way to pay tribute by like, and his life too, man. It's like, there's a lot to learn from that. And there's a lot of great themes and inspiring yet. Like, but the ups and downs, it's like, shit, man, you even look at like Jamie Foxx doing Ray Charles. And it's like right. that story, like, yeah, man, like somewhat similar with like this raw talent, the addictive uh, struggles, <clears throat> family. I mean, like, Greg's, it's not like a story of just like, I mean, I don't know, man. I just even see that opening scene of him like leaving Harvard Law or whatever it is. <laughs> there's a way to Hollywood it up and there's a way to keep it raw and keep it very like Little Miss Sunshine mm-hmm. indie film, which I feel like is the route. But um, we should talk about that for sure. We'll do it. Fuck yeah. Um, all right. Greg Gerardo, a comedian story available everywhere. Is there one spot you want people to go? Uh, Amazon. Yeah. It's the best place. It is, right? <laughs> I, I get the YouTube most cut. So yeah. <laughs> you get the most cut from that? Okay, and, good. And uh, mm-hmm. on social, we're at Greg Geraldo book. Great. So we, we have updates. We're doing book signings. So um, check it out. And and this is a passion project. So uh, please tell your friends. Tell, tell your friends. Matt, tell your acquaintances. Go get this book. Uh, if you if you love comedy, it's, um, you know, there's really not a better thing for you to uh, consume. And we don't want Maddie to go back to financial advising. No. Because God no, knows he wasn't good at it. <laughs> uh, you're the best, dude. Thanks. Thank you, Adam. So that's the show. subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast, give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice. Meh, what's up, dog? This is your pal Bugs Bunny. Say, uh, I got a question for you. Do you know who has the head of Elmer Fudd and the body of Foghorn Leghorn? Why, that's Adam Ray and Brad Williams. Ain't I a stinker?